explore to a degree, but I thought today we'd start out with the basic meaning of Acts chapter 8. It's often confused with, uh, the scripture's often confused and moved around enough that it's hard for people to identify with the preciseness of what's going on here. But it's an example of salvation, and it's an example of what follows salvation. And uh, it's an example of how God deals with each one of us and those that are appointed to deal with us. And the angel of the Lord, we're in verse 26 of Acts chapter 8, and it's Philip and the eunuch. And the angel of the Lord spake unto Philip, saying, Arise and go towards the south, unto the way that goeth down from Jerusalem unto Gaza, which is desert. And he arose and went, and behold, a man of Ethiopia, a eunuch, great of great authority, under Cadence, queen of the Ethiopians, who had the charge of all her treasures, and had come to Jerusalem to worship. He's an Ethiopian. He's probably a black man, for lack of a better term. He was probably Negroid in his ancestry. Ethiopia is North Africa. And uh, he was uh, conquered by the nations around there, and he was a slave. He was conquered in his youth because it says he's a eunuch. He was deprived of ever having a family by the conquerors and his enslavement, and uh, he uh, was rendered harmless and faithful to whoever his masters were at the time, the queen there, and uh, he was a servant to her, and it rise to great stature, much like the story we read of Daniel and different stories in the Bible of the Jewish people as they were taken. And he went to Jerusalem to worship. Jerusalem was a place to worship at the time. He evidently had enough liberty. He wanted to explore the universe, so to speak, his world, and see what different people and, and different places were about and what their religions were and what their faith endowed. And So he went to Jerusalem to worship, and there he got exposed to the gospel of Jesus Christ. It says over in the next portion of in about verse 32 and 33, we'll go there eventually if the Lord tarries. Well, he was returning and sat in his chariot and read Isaiah, the prophet. And he was in chapter 53. And that's where we'll go when we're done here, is, is uh, chapter 53 of Isaiah. Then the Spirit said unto Philip, Go near and join thyself to this chariot. See, Philip was a man of God who answered to God. And as he answered to God, God was able to use him. He didn't let the people control him. And I have no beef with the people trying to control me. It's just normal and natural. Uh, but I have to ultimately answer to God. That's why I make some tough decisions, and some of them aren't very popular from time to time. But evidently, Philip kept himself faithful to God. Then the Spirit itself. The Spirit said unto Philip, Go near and join thyself to the chariot. And my wife and I can attest to those kind of situations, and I'm sure you've had from time to time. We were in the doctor's office just this last week, and the Spirit told us to talk to the little lady in the doctor's office. And we were fortunate enough that the people there that heard us and uh, were very congenial and polite. After all, we're paying them, so they got to listen to us. You know, they listen to us with all our aches and pains, so we, we let, let them have a little more than that. And uh, it was a very nice time. And uh, only regret is that the individual didn't make it to church today. 
uh, those involved will know who I'm talking about. You can tell her we missed her. And Philip ran thither to him. And Philip ran thither to him. I admire. I talked to another man this week who had, I told the person and the issue was about that this man was on fire. And I called Jeremiah and the missionary and said, we got a man on fire, we want a controlled burn. <laughs> we don't want him just to burn up. And so we're going to have a missions trip, hopefully in August. We're working out a missions trip to see our missions uh, man, Jeremiah, uh, in, that, in Central Africa. Kenya, right? Josiah? Josiah. Okay. You got it, and we're going to go see him in August. So we're going to try to do that when Brother Kevin gets back <laughs> from the other side of Africa. And he uh, ran and did it. And I admire somebody who runs and tries to do something for God. I don't, uh, and I had to pray about this situation, and I says, I, what am I going to stop? What am I going to stop? I mean, person wants to do right. They're on fire. Let's go. Let's do it. There's not, you don't have to question it if you know it's the right thing. We just got to do things decently and in order, and we're doing it as best we can. He heard him and read the prophet, the prophet Isaiah and said, Understand thou that thou readest. See, faith cometh by hearing, and hearing by the word of God. That's 1017. And this man was earnestly exploring the word of God. He had evidently heard somebody talk about it and preached about it and said, a man of means, he says, i got to procure some of that text, and I'm going to read it for myself and see what it, see what it says for me. Much like some of you had the opportunity to do. I myself had the opportunity to read Scripture and pour over it for, oh, about two years before I accepted Christ as my personal Savior. And this man was in that position, and thankfully there was a man of God that came along and offered assistance and said, how can I accept some man should guide me? And he desired Philip that he would come up and sit with him. Now he's driving along in a chariot, probably a slow passage in the road. We won't make Superman out of Philip. But he ran up alongside the chariot and says, hey, I see you're reading something there. You know what that is? Oh, he says, yeah, this is a text I got in Jerusalem when I went to worship. He says, I need to understand it. That's verse 31. He says, I can help you. I can help you. I can. The best help you can do anybody is direct them towards God's word. Sometimes we get carried away and we explain to them God's word. Uh, that's great too. But if you can't, we mailed out John and Romans to everyone on the island. We'll be finishing that up very shortly. We're working out a bunch of strenuous circumstances to get the last of them mailed out. But that's the best thing we could do on this island is get everybody a piece of God's word that they could read for themselves and understand for themselves. I, don't, I will not see everybody who gets one of those John and Romans. I will probably never see all of them. And they probably, a majority of them probably won't ever set foot in this church. Hopefully they will come to terms with what they read, if in fact they read it. But we have got that burden off of our hands. God is happy with his word going out. And he says in Isaiah 55, 11, it'll accomplish that which he pleases. 
So it's up to him and that individual. None of you were force-fed God's word, and you, you don't have to accept it. It's something that takes place in your heart. And that's what the whole thing's about. And so this eunuch was in that delicate situation where he was being tempted and, and tried, and he was evaluating, and he was contemplating, and Philip came up, and the place of the scriptures which he read was this, verse 32, he was led as a sheep to the slaughter, and like a lamb dumb before his shearer, so opened he not his mouth. You see, they're talking about a man here, a man in verse 27, a man from Ethiopia. And then they're talking about some man. They're talking about the man, Philip. And uh, he's in verse 31. Some man should explain it to him. And now we're going to see that they're talking about a man that was led as a sheep to the slaughter. And the eunuch answered Philip and said, I pray thee of what whom speaketh the prophet this, of him or some other man. Who's him? Him is Jesus Christ. Jesus Christ. And let's go to that portion of Scripture where the eunuch was reading. And it's in uh, Isaiah 53, 7 and 8 are specifically what we see. But we're going to start at the beginning of that portion of Scripture. We could read the whole book of Isaiah as a prophetic book. But this was written before Christ was even born. Who hath believed our report and whom is the arm of the Lord revealed? This is Isaiah chapter 53. Three. I'm sorry if I said 51. Isaiah chapter 53, For he shall grow up before him as a tender plant. Describing the tender plants that we had here before the altar just a little bit ago. Such little angels. They, my dad often said they got to be so cute, otherwise you'd kill them. <laughs> and see those little barefoot girls and those beautiful-faced young men, little boys, and collecting the offering. It was just wonderful to see them all. It was just wonderful. And Jesus Christ was that tender plant of the root on a dry ground. He hath no form nor comeliness, and whom we shall see him there is no beauty that we should desire him. Jesus Christ, you, you ever wonder why we don't see any pictures of Jesus? He wasn't anything special to look upon. I get a kick out of all the different movies, you know, and they got... And they always come up with some starry-eyed fella, and he's got invariably hair down to his shoulders, and he's tall and dignified and a few other things. I don't know. My Bible says he wasn't necessarily that unattractive. Well, it says he wasn't easy to look at. But he, uh, he wasn't no movie star. He wasn't John Wayne or any of those other big fellas at all top six foot, and he certainly didn't have blue eyes. But... If, you know why we don't have pictures of him? Because we'd emulate that, his physical attributes. He wants us to emulate his spiritual attributes. So this is all prophetic and laid out. Uh, you'd think they'd had paintings of him or they'd had some, you know, they didn't have photographs because Walmart wasn't open yet. But they, uh, you surely would have, but this is all according to Scripture. He, despised, he was despised and rejected of man, of a man of sorrows, Acquainted with grief. Well, what did he have for grief? There's talking about uh, possibly Joseph, his stepfather dying at an early age. We don't see anything of him in Scripture. He had half-brothers and half-sisters. Those don't bring you grief. I don't know what real brothers and sisters will bring you. <laughs> he had many different experiences. He was a person 
common to man. He had sorrows and acquainted with grief, and as it were, our, uh, we hid our faces from him. People didn't recognize him. People refused, although angels announced his birth, although they sang in the heavens when he was born, although wise men crossed the, the sea, the desert sea, to see him. He had nobody there to really recognize him. There's that kid that thinks he's Jesus. Could you imagine what he went through in school for a while? Well, don't pick on him. He's kind of special. He, was, he's, he was, wasn't held in high esteem by mankind until they eventually found out he was perfect, and then they killed him. You know, there was only one perfect person on the whole planet, and we turned around and crucified him. Surely he hath borne our griefs and carried our sorrows. Now it's back to what he accomplished. He bore borne our griefs and carried our sorrows, yet we did esteem him stricken, smitten of God, and a Afflicted. But he was wounded for our transgressions. He was bruised for our iniquity. The chastisement of our peace was upon him. That's the price we pay, he paid. He paid for our peace of mind. And with his stripes, with his stripes, we are healed. Now, the King James Bible, although delicate and beautiful and poetic in this portion of Scripture, is just a little soft on these words on how bruised, the word bruised here is pierced. It describes him being beat to death is what it literally does. All we like sheep have gone astray and we have turned everyone to his own way. The Lord hath laid on him the iniquity of us all. Iniquity is simply sin and the thought of sin and the degradation of sin, the results of sin. It just kind of covers the whole three-letter word. In fact, this coincides with Romans chapter 3, verse 10. There is none righteous, no, not one. And it's just telling us what's, what the shape of the world is in. Is it, they See, they couldn't turn on the news. They couldn't watch it quite like we could. Somebody wrote it down, and it was Isaiah penned it through the Holy Spirit. He was oppressed, and he was afflicted, yet he opened not his mouth. As a lamb before the... He, he is brought as a lamb to the slaughter, and as a sheep before the shearers is dumb, so opened not his mouth. He was taken from prison, from judgment, and who shall declare his generation. For he was cut off from the land of the living for the transgressions of my people he was stricken. That was Isaiah in the first person talking about the Hebrew people, the Jew first, then the Gentile. And thank God in the book of Romans you can read all about how we're grafted in and about Romans 10, 11, and 12. You can find out how we're grafted in. Well, so this guy, this eunuch, was reading out of Isaiah. And uh, Philip had relatively an easy job to kind of put this all together. See, there was a man crucified in Jerusalem just, just, just within the year of that eunuch reading about it, heard about it, went to check it out. Probably why he went to church that day was to check it out, to see what the truth was to that. And his humiliation is judging, he was taken away, and who shall decline his generation, for his life is taken from the earth. This is verse 33 of Acts chapter 8. And the eunuch answered Philip and said, I pray thee, of whom speaketh the prophet, of 
himself or of some other man. Then Philip opened his mouth and began the same scripture and preached unto him Jesus. And you see, Jesus is the man in verse 37. Jesus is the son of God. And he tied that together. He said, no, he wasn't just a crazy little school kid that was his mama's pet. And he wasn't just somebody that a lot of circumstances and chance. He didn't get in any trouble when he was a kid. He wasn't just a, a prophet. He was God who came down to earth as man. And he suffered on the cross for your sins and my sins for us to look forward to the cross, to look forward to salvation, and us in this day and age, you and I, to look back to for salvation. We covered that a little bit before about how old people in the Old Testament look forward to a Savior. We look back to that Savior. We're not hung up on the law, and neither are they to be hung up on the law but we're to look to Jesus Christ as our personal Savior and accept what he did on the cross for our sins. He stood there like a sheep and died. Thinking of when I was in school once and we sheared sheep. You, you grab a hold of some of them sheep and they are 300 pounds of wild ram. But when, you, when they give up, they give up. They go completely limp, and that's when you can really get your shearing done. Jesus Christ could have called 10,000 angels and stopped all of that nonsense. But he let us carry on. He let the Hebrews and us carry on. And he says, I'll take care of it. I'll, I'll, I'll take care of it. Heavenly Father, I'll take care of it. Thank God he did that for us. And in, in recompense or in our declaring of that, our acceptance of that is all he asked. I think of the illustration I've used from time to time of an individual I knew who his son was a swimmer, much like Ethan. And he had swimming, he was Olympic swimmer. And he went on and he was a professional lifeguard on the beach. And he had a great job, and his dad said the only thing about it is, is they're all half-dressed on the beach. They all went to church, but he took it the job very seriously, and he was going on. He was going to go on to Bible college and do a few other things. And well, lo and behold, one afternoon, some guy was out there off the beach and drowned him. And his son jumped into the ocean, went out and swam out, and the man, if you know anything about people that are drowning, there was another lifeguard that was coming on the way out. And I'm not sure of the whole story, but he didn't want, the, you don't just go one person to save a guy because generally that person's going to cling to you and you're both going to sink. But the other guy got hindered, I think, by another person that was drowning at the same time. But that boy went out there, tried to save that man's life. And in the course of trying to save his life, he drowned, and that man made it to shore and made it home and was fine. I asked the guy, I says, what do you think of that? Do you hold any bitterness? He says, no, my son did what he wanted to do. He did what he should do, and uh, I only hold any, a little bitterness towards the individual. I says, why? And he says, he never thanked me. 
He never thanked the family. He never came to the funeral. He never acknowledged that my son gave his life for him. When you don't acknowledge Jesus Christ and what he did on the cross, you're much like that individual that just takes life for granted. That figures you developed from a, a bug out of the water and you don't owe anybody anything. Yet there's a person in heaven that died for you right now. And all you have to do to get right with his maker, with your maker, is thank him. When you accept Jesus Christ as your personal savior, you thank, you thank the heavenly father for what Christ did on the cross for you. Your sins are blotted out. You become as white as snow, they, though they be red as scarlet, because he died for you. He died for each and every one of us. And he wants us to at least acknowledge that and then start living accordingly to that. You have to accept God's word and act upon it. Simple act of salvation. Nothing more, nothing less. If it was more than that to get saved, people couldn't, some people couldn't do it. We raised a handicapped daughter. She could not comprehend English. I think now she can speak English at probably the age of 40. She couldn't comprehend. She didn't have the, she did come to the, the age of recognition, the age of accountability, so to speak. So she's not held to that salvation plan. But if you can, if you can line up one thing behind the other, that's all you have to do to get saved. See, there would be, God loves each and every one of us, and he wants us to be in heaven with him. And that is our responsibility if we want to be successful, if we want to have communion with God, if we want to mount to anything in our lives besides what the world holds as a standard. We need to get right with God. And it's easy to just make that first step. And it says in the Bible, in John chapter 4, whereby you become adopted into the family. You become a son of God. You become a child of the king in Romans. We become a part of God's inheritance when we accept Jesus Christ as our personal Savior. And then he'd like for us, and you're, you're your own person, he'd like for us to continue on in trusting in his word. He's got nothing but a better life for us, each and every individual. And I don't say that lightly. I've stood before people with much grimmer circumstances, even if they got saved, than we here in America got. And if you accept Christ as your personal Savior, he'd like for you to develop that relationship and continue and move on forward with him. And your life will improve. The pot will be filled, so to speak. You'll accomplish, God will accomplish what he will with you. And you'll have a peace of mind that they talked about there in Isaiah chapter 53. And they went their way and came to a certain water. And the eunuch said, see, here is water. What doth hinder me to be baptized? And Philip said, if thou believest with all thy heart and with thou mayest. And he answered and said, I believe that Jesus Christ is the Son of God. And he commanded the chariot to stand still and went down both into the water, both Philip and the eunuch, 
and be baptized. See, baptism is a picture of your accepting God's word and then acting upon it. That's the only passage in Scripture, Acts chapter 8, verse 37, where you're commanded by God's word. You're given the requirement of God's word for salvation, or baptism, I'm sorry. The only requirement for God's, for, sal- for baptism is salvation. The only requirement for God's, for, for salvation is accepting God at his word. So, if you want to continue accepting God's word, it's a natural step to go on to baptism. And it's exemplified all through scripture. In Acts 16, it's exemplified. And on the next page, over to your left, if you've got your Bible open, the script the, in verse 13 of the same uh, chapter 8, then Simon himself believed also, that means he accepted Christ, and was baptized. See, baptism's a progressive form, a formality, so to speak. It's a testimony to other people of what you've done in your private life, in your thoughts, and in your heart, where you've accepted Christ as your personal Savior, we're all commanded to go out and testify Him. Have you taken that next step after salvation for baptism? That's originally why they went out to the lake, I understand, is to do baptism. We don't have anybody lined up particularly, but it's a very easy thing to take care of. Behold, there's water. And notice they both went into the water. I can ruin a suit. I have in the past. And you uh, can be baptized. The only requirement, again, for baptism is salvation. The only requirement for salvation is accepting Christ, taking him at his word. And as you progress and accept his word, you'll go on from salvation to baptism to church membership. Look in the very first two or three chapters of this book. Look on in chapter 16, I think it is, and in chapter 33, you'll see where people got saved, baptized, and joined the church. I'll give you the verses, the addresses. I'm up here looking at my notes. Verse 13 of the same chapter. Verse six, uh, Chapter 16, verses 32 and 34. Chapter 18 of, of the same book, Acts 18.8. Are all examples of salvation. Verse 37 of this chapter is the commanded requirement, the word. Christ Himself gave an exemplified answer, our requirement for baptism. He Himself submitted Himself to baptism, and His Heavenly Father said, This is my beloved Son in whom I am well pleased. If you want to thank God, once you thank God, once you've accepted him as your personal Savior, why don't you step forward in baptism? And if you've been baptized, why don't you step forward in church membership? Continue to act upon God's word and he will bless you. We kind of get the cart before the horse a lot of times. We maybe will accept God if he does this for me. He's already done all he had can do for you. He wants to do more, but he has to have you line up. You have to accept this and act upon it. And you get this done, you can move on forward. I talked to an individual once, and he was a very good man. He had made some sacrifices, accepted Christ as his personal Savior, 
was taking care of his mother, who was an alcoholic. Very humble young man. He told me first time about Jesus Christ. One of the first messages I ever heard was from him, Jesus Christ, about Jesus Christ. I was a teenager. He was just a little more than a teenager. Little, he was actually younger than me and still a teenager. And he, uh, he took care of his mother. But, you know, there would come a time when I got baptized because I seen God plainly show it in Scripture and Jesus Christ submitted himself to it, submitted to it himself. And I wanted to please God. I wanted to thank him and I wanted to start moving on with my life and I wanted my maker on my side. So, he didn't. He says, you don't need to be baptized to get to heaven. And I said, yeah, you don't need to be baptized to get to heaven. You, uh, you're already there because that's all that's required for heaven is salvation. But if you want to live a life in union with God, you need to be baptized. You need to continue on in service for him. And he said, no, you don't. You don't. Look at me. I've changed and I've had blessings. Yeah, but he was denied. I says, you know what? You're retarded. They don't like to use that word now, but retarded means you're not measuring up to normal cognitive skills. I says, you're retarded as a Christian. You're holding back on God. You still want his blessing. You're ho- you haven't done step. You haven't taken the second step, and you want him to guide you on the rest of them. He will. He loves you. He'll bless you. But he sure can work a lot easier with somebody who takes him at his word and accepts it. And his word is very plain about baptism. His word is very plain about church membership. You don't need to be a church member to go to heaven. It'll sure help, though. It'll sure help. Where else would you get bawled out about baptism if it wasn't in church? (laughs) Really. We need that preaching. Just like that Philip came along and helped the eunuch, he needed that man. And God set up a plan for people to grow and experience his blessings and become cognitively intelligent about what's expected of them in their faith and to know what God really wants from them in their daily walk and to have peace and complete control over their lives by simply accepting God's word and acting upon it. And he put up a position and a place for that to happen And you can't tell me church doesn't help. I've been to tribes where they've accepted Christ as their personal Savior, and they got a stump out in the woods, and they go out and read it on their own, and pretty soon you'll get two or three people there, and you'll get somebody on fire, and he'll turn around and preach it to them, and they'll ask questions, and all of a sudden that's a church. Where two or three are gathered in my name, there I am in the midst. Those things are all important. Because God wants you to succeed. He wants you to grow and have victory in your life and accomplish something in your life. And he wants you to be able to turn around and tell Sister Brown or Johnny Q or your brother Aunt or your Uncle Tom or whoever you got in your life, he wants them to see the gospel. And the only gospel they're going to see in life is you. That's why once you get saved and accept Christ as your personal Savior, you're not just snatched up into heaven. He wants you to be an example to others. 
One of the easiest ways to be an example to others is say, count me in. I want to be baptized in church with a local group of assembled believers. That's the easiest. One of the hardest is to go to work and tell them all off. I'm not working at the liquor store anymore. I think this stuff's at the de- of the devil. I know guys have done it. I know guys who haven't done it. I had a cousin that bragged to me about how he drove the beer wagon while I was going to Bible college. He drove a beer wagon, literally drove a beer truck and delivered to all the taverns in the big town. He says, I'm getting money. You're spending money. I'm making money. I was at his mother's funeral, be my aunt. He was in a wheelchair. Polio took him. He knew Christ, but he didn't act upon his word. He ignored God's word. No, I'm not judging maker, but I know he's probably going to go to heaven when he dies. But boy, he sure could have had a better life before he got there if he'd accepted Christ's word and acted upon it. What does God got laid before you today? What does he got laid in your lap today that he wants you to do? He wants nothing to but to bless you. He wants nothing but to make your life easier and better. And yet, you don't want to, we don't want to, I don't want to act upon his word all the time. So today, let's all stand.